Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and I'm delighted to have you along for this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. I am extremely excited about today's episode today. We are continuing on in our intro to the Considering One Another series, and I really felt like last week's episode was a great jumping off point for this important discussion. We talked about the fact that I had found this Desiring God article called The Art of One Anothering. The author of the article points out that there are 50 plus times in the scriptures when God encourages us to do or say or act a certain way to one another. And that really it is the foundation of living in Christian community is to know that God wants us to be about supporting and encouraging one another. And the one another's of scripture are something that I've been considering for some time. So I'm just super grateful for the opportunity to bring this series to you. I want you to make a note that you can go to speakingforhim.sermon.net and pull down the series slider. And then you will find the series considering one another and all of the episodes for this particular topical series will be on that list. Even if these episodes do not come out in sequential order, as my series often do not, they will be available on that playlist. So make sure that you avail yourself of that, especially if you find this podcast episode encouraging. There's two other things that you can do if you find this podcast encouraging that I would really appreciate. Number one, you can share it with your family and friends. That's how more people find out about what I'm doing here as speaking for him. And I always like to have more people listening. And number two, you can send me a review on Apple podcasts. You can rate on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If they have a way to review, please do so. That's how more people Find out about the show, and that would be greatly appreciated. I found a clip this week that I would like to share with you. I feel like it goes along very well with our One Another series, and this is from the Jen Fulweiler Show. I've really been encouraged by Jen over the years. She is a former radio personality who now has a podcast uh, she is a mother of six, she's a comedian, and she just really has some refreshing takes on family life, particularly large family life, and I just appreciate her wit and wisdom often. And this clip that I'm going to share with you right now is really talking about how having a big family is actually a benefit, and how having a big family can be like a party And she talks about how the fact that she has a big family draws more children to her house and that her house is often full and often joyful because of the decision that she and her husband made to have a large family. And I just really appreciated this because I think that a lot of times, whether we want to admit it or not, the decision not to have children or the decision to have a smaller family is motivated by selfishness. And the Bible says that we are to put others' needs 
about ourselves. And the training ground for that is the family. And so here's Jen Fulweiler talking about the party that is having a larger family. Everybody likes to be at a party where there are a lot of people there. You know, if someone's like, hey, come to my party. All right, we got two people here. Let's rage. It's like, well, (laughs) that's not a party. Everybody wants to be where the party is. I I remember one time, long time ago, this really sweet blogger I followed. This was years ago. She said she chose like she she made a choice to take some things a certain direction so that so that they wouldn't have more kids. And and her only reason, her sole reason for doing it is she said she didn't want her house to be too crowded so that people would feel welcome in her house. And again, I, I never get in people's business with how many kids you have and whatever. So I say this sincerely. I, I respect whatever decision she made and I, whatever that that's her decision. But it did. It hurt my heart for her as she seemed really sweet. It, it just kind of hurt my heart for her because her kids were little. And I thought what you're missing is that parties are always crowded. Mm-hmm. That's why having more kids than you can really reasonably fit in your house is kind of fun because it feels like a party. No one wants to show up at a party where it is spacious inside. <laughs> Everyone has a good 15 feet around them because not that many people are in this space. That doesn't feel like a party. When you have a house that is overcrowded with human beings because you have a reckless disregard for family planning, <laughs> it does feel like a party. It, it honestly kind of feels like a party all the time. And so, yeah, I, I always kind of felt bad for that blogger because I, I, just, I think I think she might not have gotten the result that she wanted. Um, because I can tell you, as someone whose house is a real, uh, it is very crowded in my house. And we cannot keep the kids out of here. I, my, my house is the mothership for local children. They all want to be over here all the time because it feels like a party because parties are crowded. So that's just my little pitch. Obviously, it, and I want to emphasize, I truly, I think every number of kids is the right. I, I, what I'm saying is I don't care. I'm an only child. My husband is an only child. I am well aware that families are great families come in all shapes and sizes. I just want to make make that pitch because in our culture, you don't hear the pro big family pitch ever. Mm-hmm. You you could it, pull up TikTok or Instagram or whatever right now. Sure, you can see a pitch for having fewer kids, but no one ever explains that other side of the story. So that's what I wanted to take a second to do. So I just really appreciated that perspective and I wholeheartedly agree because when I was growing up, my house and particularly my backyard was the place where all the neighborhood kids wanted to be because my dad was the dad on the block that came out and played with us and other kids from other families would come over and join the fun, whether it was backyard baseball or backyard football or backyard basketball. There was always something going on in our backyard and I remember sitting up on my back ramp pretending to be a broadcaster for so many backyard sports contests and just enjoying having the neighbor kids over and it was just such a blessing to have that happen because of the activity hub that was our household. 
I will never forget the busy Christmases we had because when we were younger kids, my parents would encourage us to buy gifts for each and every member of our family. And so each of us would buy 12 gifts uh, for our 10 living siblings um, and then our parents, individual gifts for each person. And there was a time in our heyday when unwrapping our gifts would take three days because that's how long it took to get through everything. And it was just so exciting growing up to prepare your gifts and to be excited to give them and to just have a wonderful, boisterous time around the holidays. Now, it wasn't always roses. We would have fights. We would get upset with one another. But overall, my memories of that time in my life are so blessed and so wonderful, and I'm grateful for that foundation. Conversely, I feel like in our culture today, we have a whole generation of people who say things like, I don't want to have kids, or I like having double income, no kids. Um, and I remember having conversations with coworkers um, that, who said that they liked having double income, no kids, and now they had a kid, and things were different, and they kind of wished they could go back. Now, do I think they actually literally meant it? Probably not. Um, but I also know that a lot of people choose to have one or two kids because they want to have the things that the culture tells us are important in life. And I just really feel sad for this generation of people because I feel like when you're 20 or 30, you think you're never going to be sick, you're never going to need other people. And so having this idea of having maybe one or two kids when it's convenient or maybe not having any kids at all, that seems to be perfectly acceptable and even exciting. But then when you get to be 60 or 70, who's going to take care of you? And I know some people say, well, that's kind of selfish to just have kids so that people can take care of you. But the reality is that the scriptures tell us that we are supposed to care for one another. The scriptures say that we are supposed to impart the truth of the scriptures to our children and our children's children. We are told to despise not our mother when she is old. Jesus told the Pharisees to take care of their parents and to not withhold their finances and just say that it's a gift to God and so I can't take care of you. Jesus really wants families to take care of each other. The blueprint is for the family to raise up children to the glory of God and to foster a multi-generational legacy of love for the Lord Jesus. Because the reality is, it takes only one generation, as we see in Judges chapter 1, for a people to rise up that know not God, neither the works that he's done. So it's very important for us to have a proper view of family. One of the few things that God actually says is a literal blessing is the gift of children. So I hope that that clip encourages you and whatever decision you make uh, regarding your family size, I just want to encourage you in this way. I don't think it's about the number of children you have. I think it's about the attitude that you have toward children in general. 
If you love children as Jesus loves children and he never gives you a single child, he will bring children into your life to impact and he can still bless and honor you for having his heart for children. But if you have one or two children and you just had them because it was convenient and you don't really have a positive attitude about children, then you're not reflecting the heart of God. Because Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And as we are considering this idea of considering one another in various categories, it is an attitude of unselfishness. It's an attitude of community. It's an attitude of putting others before ourselves that brings us into this discussion. And there's no greater place to put these things into practice than within the family. Because so much of what we do as a society is an outgrowth of the family. The family is the bedrock of society. God started society with Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve had children, and those children had children, and the foundational aspect of family formed neighborhoods, cities, towns, states, countries, and so on and so forth. So I really think that this discussion about family is very important as we continue to think about the one another's of Scripture. Now I want to share with you our quote of the day. And our quote of the day comes from Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but there is a prevailing wisdom in our culture uh, from the world that says, don't look at what other people are doing. Don't let other people dictate what you should do. Just seek your own happiness. And there is a true element of this because we should not be so concerned about what other people think that we allow it to affect us. But the overarching idea of that is that it doesn't matter what happens to other people. It only matters what we do. And also the idea that the things we do do not affect other people. And the reality is that we do not live in a bubble. We do affect other people by our actions, and we need to have a Christ-mindedness that says other people are more important than me. Christ was the ultimate displayer of this attitude because he was the perfect son of God, and he gave up his glory in heaven to come down and redeem us out of our sin and to set us free and to give us liberty, to give us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. It's a great thing and the greatest thing that he could have done for us, and we owe him a great debt of gratitude for that. So I just want you to consider as we start this conversation that the whole aspect of studying the one another's, I believe, starts from a place of unselfishness 
and considering others better than ourselves. So as we continue on in this discussion, the next aspect uh, that I want to share with you in the fourth overall is that we are called to show Christ's love. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And we have also considered this truth in the past, but I think it's pretty significant here that although Jesus wants us to reach out and to love the world, one of the greatest witnesses that we can have is to love one another as Christians. If the world sees us loving one another, they will see that we have something different than the world because the world says, serve self first, seek your own interests first, and Jesus, by contrast, is saying, put others before yourself and love one another. And keep in mind that, again, Jesus is the ultimate displayer of this because he will say in John chapter 17, restore to me the glory that I had before the world was. And you and I cannot comprehend what that was. Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. He was the second person in the Trinity. He had complete and total fellowship with God in a way that we have never experienced. And he chose to leave that place of glory and that place of ultimate fellowship and to come down to this earth embodied as a human and to do what only he could do in redeeming us from sin. And so he wants for us to love one another and to show that love as an example to the world of what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to me, that is so important. And then the next passage that I want to share with you along these same lines is in Galatians 5, 13 and 14. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. And again we see the contrast between the world and the God that we serve. Because we see here that we've been called unto liberty, that we've been given freedom. And so many in the world today think that liberty means that I just need to live my truth and you have nothing to say about it. And again, nothing I do affects you, so just be quiet. But what God is saying to us here is that we've been called to liberty but we're not supposed to use liberty to do whatever we want, to indulge in sin. We are supposed to use liberty to serve one another. It's a totally different mindset. 
instead of using liberty to do whatever I want, regardless of how it makes you feel, I should use my liberty to serve you. It's a totally different worldview. And then, of course, the end of this passage is, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Remember, Jesus said, The first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love thy neighbor as thyself. So Paul is no doubt thinking of this as he's writing in Galatians. And the reality is that if we uh, keep these two things in mind, then all of the Ten Commandments are covered under that umbrella of loving God and loving our neighbor. The final passage that I want to share in this aspect of sharing Christ's love is... Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that is Galatians 6.2. We are called to bear the burdens of one another. We are not allowed to say, as believers, if someone that we know and love is struggling, that's your problem, deal with it. We are instead called to bear one another's burdens. Now that's going to look different for everyone. It could mean praying for them. It could mean giving them a phone call and reaching out when you know that they are struggling. It could mean giving to them financially. But whatever it does mean, God can use you to positively affect others and to relieve their burdens. And he wants to do that. So the second aspect of one anothering that I want to consider with you today is that we are called to give his grace to others. We are called to give his grace to others. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all holiness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And again, that's Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. And I love this passage because it really typifies what I try to do here at Speaking for Him. I want to encourage people to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You are called to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us to a high standard. He wants us to live holy and righteous and godly lives before Him. And He gives us the power to do so. And then we see with all lowliness or humility, with meekness, which means gentleness, with long suffering, which means patience, and, you know, basically tolerating or putting up with one another. We all have failings, we all have weaknesses, and we need to remember that when dealing with others. Because for most of us as humans, it's much easier for us to accept God's forgiveness for ourselves and to be, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. But then when it comes to forgiving others, we're like, well, how could you do that to me? I will never be able to forgive you. When in reality, what God is saying to us is that we should be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. That's the reality in which we live. 
The next passage that I want to share with you is also from Ephesians chapter 4, and it's verses 28 and 29, and it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. So, I really like this passage because we see that we are supposed to use our communication to edify those who hear us, to let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. And I think that's so important, especially when you consider those who are learning from you and look up to you. I remember this as a kid, realizing that my younger siblings emulated the things that were said around them. I remember times when they would repeat the exact phrasing of those who said things around them. And often they would repeat the not-so-good phrases. They were very good at picking up on that. And so it spoke to me of the need to use kind words and to let my words be edifying because if they were going to copy me, I wanted them to have something good to copy. As Paul also says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Again, this is not saying that Paul said he was perfect and so therefore imitate me, but it was saying that Paul was holding himself to a high standard um, because he knew that he was in a place of influence. And so he wanted people to imitate him as he sought to follow Christ. And then the next passage that I want to share with you uh, with this idea of, of giving God's grace to others is... 1 Peter 4, 9-11, where Peter writes, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And in this passage, we see that we need to use hospitality one to another without grudging, which means we need to be cheerful givers who don't complain about giving. We need to use the gifts that God gives to minister to one another, because in doing so, we are good stewards of the grace of God. God gives us grace to use the gifts that he has given us for his glory, and he wants us to edify others with them. And then if we speak, we are supposed to speak the truth of God. We are not supposed to take lightly the call to speak. When I step behind this microphone uh, each and every week, I prayerfully consider what I'm going to say, and I ask God to use it for his glory. And then it says, If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. We can't do more 
than what God enables us to do. And I think sometimes we focus so much on what other people are gifted to do that we don't do the thing that we are gifted to do. So we need to focus on the gifts that God has given us the ability to use to help others, and we need to be happy and content to do that. And why is it that we do all these things? We do them that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ because all praise and dominion belongs to him. And I think that's so important to realize that everything we are and have and everything we can do, all of those things come through Christ and from Christ and the glory for those things goes to Christ. Our final category of one anothering that we are going to consider in this series is being an example of Christ to others, being an example of Christ to others. And the first passage that I want to share with you along those lines is, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, specifically of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Of course, the final verse in this passage is the famous verse that is often quoted about Timothy how even though he was young, he should not let anybody despise his youth, but be an example to everyone. And we as believers are called to be an example to those around us, because whether you know it or not, someone is looking to you to be an example. Remember that famous ad campaign with Charles Barkley where he said, I am not a role model. The reality is, Charles, you are a role model, whether you understand it or not. And from recent things I've heard from him, I think he embraces that a little bit more uh, than he used to do. So I am grateful for that. But in this passage, we just see how Paul and his cohorts were willing to labor and suffer reproach because they trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. And then they say to Timothy, the things that we taught you, command and teach. Teach those things that we've taught you. In another passage, he'll say, commit these things unto faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The next passage is, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew five fourteen to 16 And so we have this idea again of being an example to others, letting our light shine so that the people that see our good works will glorify our Father in heaven. Again, it all comes back to God's glory. And the final verse 
that I want to share with you today is, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. That's 3 John 1.11. And we are called to follow that which is good, not evil. Two very specific paths that we can choose to go down. And we need to choose to follow God to the good and stay away from the evil. Now, of course, we know that we as believers can have struggles with sin. But when it says, he that doeth evil hath not seen God, it is talking about someone who has a lifestyle of evil behind them. If you are doing evil and you're not bothered by the fact that you've done something evil, if doing something wrong doesn't riddle you with guilt immediately and make you want to confess and repent to the Lord, then you really need to do business with God and make sure that you are of the faith. Because if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you will want to keep short accounts with God. As a true believer, you realize that Jesus took your place and that he has remembered that you are dust and loved you anyway. And so you want to do all you can to please him and to live in a right way. You have the motivation to continue on the road of redemption. And I want to encourage you that if you are a believer today and you are struggling, that you can call upon the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and he will welcome you back gladly and he will wipe your tears and he will help you start over again. To paraphrase something that I believe C.S. Lewis said, you can't start over at the beginning. The beginning's already happened. But from this day forward, you can make a new beginning. And again, I know that's not the exact quote. It's a paraphrase. But I like the thought of that. We can't go back and change the past. But we have the power through God to change the future. Paul said that he forgets what's behind and presses on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wants to hit that mark, and he wanted to encourage the Philippians to do that as well. So I hope that this study has been an encouragement to you. Again, please let your family and friends know about it. I'm just going to give you a short review of what we covered today really quick. We covered the last three of six aspects of considering one another. And those last three were show Christ's love, give his grace to others, and being an example of Christ to others. And we will dive into each one of these individual aspects as this series rolls on this year. But I'm just very excited that we had this starting place. If you have any feedback regarding these first couple episodes of this series, please let me know. If there's something that I haven't mentioned that you think bears mention, I would love to hear that. 
And if I feel like your voicemail would be edifying for my listeners and would be an asset to the show, I may even play it on the air with your permission. But please make sure that you are reaching out with the contact information that's about to roll with any feedback, questions, comments, or concerns that you may have, or even if it's just for prayer, I would love to hear from you. Well, that's about all the time I have for today's show. As I said, we are going to consider each of these aspects on an individual basis in the weeks to come. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And I think you'll be encouraged uh, with the episodes coming up in the future. Continue to listen each and every week. Um, I love to be here each week to encourage the believers to walk closer with the Lord Jesus. And I hope that you are indeed finding him faithful today as you walk. With that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.